You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1161 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And today's show is brought to you by PrizePix. Check out prizepix.com or use the App Store to download the app today. Use the promo code MBA for Mayor. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. Today's show will be a mailbag driven episode as we get into all kinds of topics in Hawksland. And then we'll end the podcast with a look at the Hawks Wolves game on Wednesday as the Hawks are coming off of a nice win on Monday evening. We break that down in full on the podcast, full half hour plus recap of the come from behind memorable win for the Hawks on MLK Day. And uh, honestly, it's been a very busy time on the podcast recently. We did seven shows in seven days last week after the Reddish trade and all kinds of stuff with that fallout. And also before that, Tower Jones, friend of the podcast, joined me for a two-part episode early last week as well. So a great time to subscribe to the podcast with a deadline coming up in February. We have hopefully a playoff push if you are a Hawks fan coming up in the near term and uh, plenty to get to on the podcast. So please subscribe, please tell your friends, and we'll dive into the show today. Uh, first question on the agenda comes from Bruce, who asks, with Cam Reddish now gone, does Nate Millen consider having McDonavich become the primary scorer off the bench? I know he doesn't love that, but I'm not sure Kevin is aggressive enough as a scorer on the second unit and Bogey will shoot. So that's a, not a bad idea. I'll say that right now. Um, but there are some questions about Bogdanovich as a bench player. For one, his knee might be a problem at this point. That's me speculating, but he is already ruled out for Wednesday's game. We'll come back to that later on in terms of Hawks-Wolves. But Bogdanovich has now missed a handful of games in a row. That'll be three straight. And it's the same knee that bothered him last year. And he has been pretty visibly not the same guy athletically and explosively this season. So that is a concern, both beyond the role that he's in for this year, but just in general with the Hawks investing in him, uh, you know, almost $20 million a year. They rely on him a lot. He was a big, big, I think, underrated piece of last year's push to uh, where they got at the highest levels down the stretch of last season. So that's a concern, number one. And we don't know anything about it right now. And the Hawks are not going to be... Openly forthcoming, I would say. The Hawks are not always great about giving information on injuries, but we'll see what happens from there. But that's, a, I guess, question slash concern number one here. Um, but beyond that, it was pretty well documented last season, both on this podcast and elsewhere, that Bogdanovich does not enjoy coming off the bench, especially right after he signed the big deal last summer with uh, with the Hawks, I guess two, two summers ago now. Um, he was coming off the bench early in that tenure and was not thrilled about it. Now, would that be a huge issue? Uh, I'm not sure exactly, but it's always kind of under-discussed and under-covered some of the locker room dynamics that are always in play on teams, you know, whether veterans are playing certain minutes and hierarchies and stuff, and uh, the best teams don't have that stuff get out, and that's always important to recognize. And I'm not telling you that Bogdanovich caused problems behind the scenes, but he was not uh, thrilled by all accounts. So, that might be a question as well. Um, even last night after the win, uh, Nate McMillan kind of answered a question with um, about it's actually about DeAndre Hunter and kind of referenced that he's not had a chance to play with the starting group, quote, quote unquote, and that he actually named Bogdanovich and Capella by name in there. So I think McMillan still views Bogdanovich as the starting shooting guard when he is healthy and available. And I'm not sure how that's going to go or where that, where that will change. Um, I don't think that they need to be married to that. I'm not someone that thinks you, that you need to sort of always eschew all the other stuff in favor of that um, hierarchy. But that is definitely part of the uh, calculus, let's just say. Um, if you remove any notion of that stuff, though, which go on court only, I do think that Bogdanovich makes a lot of sense in that role right now. For one, 
he is capable and is willing to hunt his own shot and be that you know more like shot creator type off the bench. He can be a secondary ball handler as well. It's sort of an underrated part of his game um, when he's right. Now, again, this year, not quite as dynamic like that because of the lack of explosion, but in Sacramento and even for part of last year, he was able to give them sort of a secondary creation a little bit. And at one point, um, the Hawks found some success down the stretch of last season, kind of staggering Trey and Bogdanovich and having Bogey be on the court when Trey wasn't, and that gave them some more offense when Young sat. That was actually ended up working out pretty well. Obviously, he's not playing the same way this year. He's not been as good as he was last season, but there is something to be said for that. Also, Herter, I think, has played well with Trey and also played well in the starting lineup at times. So I think leaving him there would not be the worst thing in the world. I've said it before, but I think Herter's been their best wing this season. So keeping him in that starting role, having him play 30-plus minutes a night, is a good idea in my mind. So I think it's fair to say that Bogey's not the same guy that he was last year right now. But I think that hopefully he can get back to that. And I think that him in a six-man role when he returns would not be the worst idea in the world. So um, I'm not sure it'll happen. If I had to guess right now, if Bogey is healthy in you know 10 days or whatever, that's just a total hypothetical number of days for me. But if he's healthy, I assume he will start, to be honest with you. But I'm not telling you that for sure. I think that's probably just my guess. But uh, I, don't, I don't mind him coming off the bench, if, especially if that, uh, if that unit with Herter and Hunter and Trey has some success in the next couple of games in particular on Wednesday when we already know that Bogey's not going to play against the Wolves. Um, next question comes from Justin Goldberg, who says, How soon can we expect the Kongwu to develop a competent mid-range and even a corner three shot, or is that never going to happen? Um, I'll just say this. Anything I say here is going to be a guess to some extent. Um, but to give some context here, the Hawks do think and believe that Okongwu will shoot at some point. They thought, they thought that in the draft, and I think his touch is also uh, worth noting. I think expanding him out to like mid-range First is a good idea, and then maybe threes, quarter threes, etc. Um, different regime for sure, but the Hawks have found some success with guys who did not shoot in the past, like Dwayne Dedman and Alex Len, who became like competent three point shooters after not ever shooting before that. Again, different regime, but it's it can be done, particularly with guys you're not asking to do a ton like off the dribble, just kind of stand there and shoot. That is definitely possible for a Kong Wu. He has some clear touch that non shooting bigs don't always have. And I think his free throw shooting has not been great, but it's not broken either. So there's some stuff to like about that. I think the biggest thing by far, though, for a Kongwu in terms of development on skills like this is being healthy in the offseason. It's an underrated thing that people don't always talk about, but um, it is always big for young players to actually have full off-seasons where they can actually work on things. You know, During the season, you're just trying to game plan and... Yeah, you can do you can do some stuff, but for the most part, it is game to game. It's a grind. You're traveling, and you're focusing on your opponents and all that kind of stuff, trying to stay in shape, etc. And the off season is when you actually get better. And I think that Kongwu was hurt last year. He was hurt two years ago, so he's not really had a full professional off season. And I think that is going to be big for him if he can stay healthy, close the season out. I think that if you're if you're a Hawks fan, obviously you want him to be healthy all the time. But it would be very, very, very big for Kongwu to be actually going into the off season, into the summer healthy and able to do a full set of work for a full offseason. If that happens, I will believe it even more, and maybe we'll see some signs of that next year. But for now, I think in-season you won't see a development like that. It just doesn't really happen like that. But um, we'll see if that pops in the future. And I do think that he will shoot at some point in time, as the Hawks also think. Um, One more question before we get to a break here. The question comes from um, the therapist MS on Twitter, who says, I know the trade trade speculation is not really your favorite thing, but I feel like an additional two-way perimeter star-level talent is what would elevate the Hawks to a championship level. What players do you think would be the best fit? First, uh, the question is right, and that the best thing the Hawks can possibly add right now is a two-way star on the perimeter. Um, 
It goes without saying that those guys are very, very hard to get, particularly when they're not asking out. In fact, they're almost impossible to get if they're not asking out in trade. But um, the trouble of that always, again, is like right now, I think the only guy that's even like maybe conceivably available that I think would fit the question of a two-way perimeter star that is even kind of available is like Jalen Brown. Um, because a lot of the guys that you think might be available, like potentially in the future, people always ask me about like SGA from the Thunder or Donovan Mitchell if he were to not be thrilled in Utah. That's been a long, a long time name that people always ask about. Um, for one thing, Utah is good this year. I can't, I can't imagine Mitchell leaving in the middle of the season. Um, Shea is um, an interesting case in that Oklahoma City is like still in this full rebuild, but there's no indication that they're going to trade him, etc. So, I think Brown. I'm not sure he's available, but I do think that he is the closest thing that I can come up with to a guy that I think at least could credibly be traded that I think fits that archetype that, I'm, that they're asking about in the question. He's a two-way wing for sure. He's not a dominant offensive player, but he's a good offensive player, obviously averaging a lot of points and pretty efficiently in the last couple of seasons. And then defensively, he's, again, not dominant, but solid. Athletic. He's from here, of course, which always, always helps in the appeal. And he's a really good player. Like top 30 guy in the league, top 40 guy in the league conservatively, he's a good player. I'm not sure that like matters that he's from here, but the Celtics, uh, they've been pretty dis- dysfunctional this season. And they got to a point where they wanted to blow it up on some level and separate Tatum and Brown. I think that Brown would be the guy that gets traded rather than Tatum. And uh, the Hawks should be definitely calling if that were to happen. Again, that's a lot of ifs, and I would say it's not likely to happen, but it's at least possible. Just for a final rundown of Brown's numbers, by the way, last three seasons, uh, I guess almost, it's two and a half seasons now, but three seasons, um, 58% true shooting, that's above league average, that's very good on 28% usage, that's an impressive combination of skills, 23 points, 6 rebounds, solid defense, not a great passer by any stretch of the imagination, but a competent defender, um, he's athletic, he's 25 years old, and that's kind of the guy the Hawks will be looking for. Obviously, if a guy gets tired of the situation and asks out, the Hawks have the ability to ask for, or at least put together a trade package for almost anyone in the league if they wanted to come here. But I think if you're trying to just answer the question as it was asked, which means the Hawks targeting a two-way perimeter star-level talent is the way that it was put to me. The guy that I came up with, again, this is just arbitrary in my own opinion of like maybe who could be available is Jalen Brown. But again, uh, I don't love this for a reason. And until like actual rumors um, pop up, I try not to avoid, I try not to uh, answer too many questions about that. But that was at least a reasonable question because the big secret is that every team in the league wants two-way perimeter stars. Um, the Hawks have a perimeter star in Trey Young, not a two-way player necessarily, but um, they, the big, the best thing they could possibly add to this team would be like a star-level wing player that can defend. And uh, those are hard to get. And Jalen Brown at least fits that. And he's from here. So there you go. Uh, all right, before we get to more questions on today's podcast, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Prize Picks. Attention, Hawks fans, you've been hearing me talk about Prize Picks for months now. Have you signed up yet? If you haven't, now is the perfect time. For a limited time, Prize Picks is exclusive, no brainer of an offer for all of our users. They get $50 free. Yes, users get $50 for free if a player in your first Prize Picks entry scores a single point, but only if you use the promo code NBA. That's right, it's an exclusive offer available for all locked on fans, only if you use the promo code NBA. Prize Picks is the best NBA DFS prop game on the market, and it offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as the bench guys who only record a handful of minutes each and every game. Prize Picks offers any prop you can think of, from points to assists to rebounds, three-pointers, etc. You pick two to five players and overrun on their projections. You can win up to ten times on any entry. It's just you against the projected numbers. There are also mixed sports entries on prize picks. You can take the over on Trey Young, combine with the under on your favorite football players in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play right now. Prize picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. 
Go to prizepicks.com today or use the App Store and download the app. All users that use that deposit promo code of NBA will get $50 free on your first PrizePicks entry if you score a single point. One more time, all users that deposit using the promo code NBA will get $50 free on your first PrizePicks entry if, you, if they score a single point. PrizePicks is daily fantasy made easy. All right, so we're back with more questions on the podcast. The first one on this section comes from Nicholas, who asks, if you had to guess one way or the other, do you think the Hawks will at least make the play-in? Also, I'd ask the same question about whether they actually make the playoffs, meaning the top eight, or whether they have a chance to salvage a top six seed in the regular season. So, I will give you my opinion in a moment, but first, it's kind of a good time to check out on the projection systems. And every once in a while on the podcast, I will go through at least a handful of the publicly available metrics and give you what they have about the Hawks right now. This is a, a very light night in the NBA, actually, as I'm recording this. Only two games on Tuesday after the jam-packed um, Monday, Monday slate for the holiday. So kind of gives a little bit more of a lasting power to these numbers, um, more than like just the one day that they usually get in terms of being accurate. At any rate, Sportsline, who I do some work for, by the way, that it's owned by CBS. I do some writing there, so full disclosure. But um, they have not updated since before Monday's games, but keep that in mind. But they had a, a 6.1% chance for the Hawks to make the top eight, meaning the playoffs. Um, that's pretty bad, obviously, but it's actually not really alone. Something that's a pet peeve of mine, by the way, is that a lot of these projection systems have not made the tweak, at least publicly, to um, at least show more of their formulas in that they're still giving playoff odds, and playoff odds is the top eight, which means you have to project the play-in in the middle of that, too. I'd love to see these metrics go to, like, a here is a top six projection, here is a top ten projection, meaning making the play-in, and then a maybe a playoff projection beyond that. But, alas, that's just me, and that's uh, just a small complaint. But, alas, keep that in mind, and I'll try to explain that to you along the way here. Um... That's still very low. Team Rankings, which is another website that I've looked at in the past, gives the Hawks an 8.7% chance to finish in the playoffs, which is the top eight. They have them at 38 wins and 12th in the Eastern Conference as a projection. Basketball reference is very low on Atlanta, a 3.9% chance to make the top eight, 12.7% chance to make the play-in. They do, as at least as far as uh, they, they go seed by seed um, on that. That seems quite low to me, honestly, which I'll come back to in a moment. Um, ESPN's BPI formula, Basketball Power Index, gives the Hawks a 3.6% chance to make the playoffs. That's still very, very low. So that's four in a row in which the Hawks have a, a sub-10% chance to make the eight-team Eastern Conference playoffs. Now, um, some more interesting ones that we'll get into here. 538 has two different models. One of them is ELO. The other one is Raptor. And basically what happens is ELO is their metric that's closer to like what's happened during the season. It's an evaluation of what you've done so far and what you project to do. It's not on the player talent level. It's just kind of evaluating your results so far this season. And that model has the Hawks winning 36 games to finish 12th in the East and having kind of their own tier of wins in the East. In fact, the number 11 seed has 40 wins in that projection. The Hawks at 36. And then the number 13 seed is 31 wins. So they have no one within four wins of them on either side. That's interesting in itself. But that's pretty low. 9% playoff outs. And, uh, but that's kind of in line with all the other ones that are doing the similar things. Now, Raptor model, which is their publicly touted, the one they usually lean on more, and the one that gets more attention, is player-driven. So I don't have the entire formula, nor will I be able to share that with you, but it's um, essentially they're trying to measure your actual talent level, who's available, who's been available, and they get more granular to kind of project your roster talent and how it might fare the rest of the season more often than just like the results. They're trying to go a little, a little bit deeper. I usually like this model more because it takes into account more stuff than just like wins and losses, and etc. But 
Um, it's also the most optimistic about the Hawks, which is not a huge surprise to me. They have the Hawks projected to finish ninth in a tie with the Wizards at 40 and 42, with a 32% chance to make the top eight. So that's three times as high as all of the other ones that I've mentioned so far. Now, that might, seem, might still seem low to some people, but that model, again, is basically telling you that the Hawks are better than what they've done so far, which I agree with. That's been my operating. I've kind of shared this in, in Twitter form multiple times this season about, like, look, the model, in this case, Raptor, that shows the Hawks' roster is higher than the one that just shows the results for the season. It's because the Hawks are better than they've been so far. I think everyone kind of agrees on that. Even, even people, that, even people that, don't, that don't think much of the Hawks this year would tell you that the roster is better than their record at 18-25. So, all that said, I am higher on the Hawks and their potential to make the playoffs this year than, than the systems are. The only one that I think is kind of in line with me is the Raptor model, which, as I just said, is kind of makes makes some sense when you think about it, just player-wise, availability-wise, and talent-wise, etc. Now, I think something that's, again, not up for debate is that the Hawks are better than their record so far. They do have some, some injury concerns that are tough to project, at the moment with Capella and Bogdanovich. We'll get into that a little bit more later, but they're both, they're both going to not play again on Wednesday, and we don't have any other updates beyond that. But those are two important pieces that are not with the team right now, and then Reddish is no longer on the team. And while I think that Cam not being there is not a huge detriment in the way that he was playing, it is a loss of depth. So if you were to be... And by the way, I did this, this entire thing on the Tread Podcast as well, but if you have another injury now and you also don't have Cam, now you're into the... TLC, DeLon Wright, play a lot of minutes group, as we've seen in the last few minutes, uh, last few games, and Lou Williams plays more, and et cetera. And that's not great for your depth, so keep that in mind throughout this process. Um, you know, it's worth noting as well, the Hawks have the 10th easiest remaining schedule in the league according to winning percentage. That's not outlier, but it is a little bit favorable compared to the baseline. That's uh, worth noting in terms of their run. And also they have... Both are both of the West Coast trips are now over. That's an advantage on some level. Um, those are always killer trips in terms of scheduling. And the Hawks have the fifth easiest schedule remaining in the Eastern Conference. That's also worth noting. Um, I think in terms of actually projecting what the Hawks would do the rest of the season, I'm going to have them finishing at like around 500, if you make me guess right now. That's not going to seem super high to you, but let's just say they finish 41 and 41. That means they have to go 23 and 16 the rest of the season. That's a 59% winning percentage. That's basically a 48 win pace for the season, which is a little bit actually below where I had the Hawks in the preseason. I had them like 49.50 coming into the year. So um, let's just say for the Hawks to finish 500 from this point forward, if they were to finish 500 for the season, they have to play at a 48 win pace. And that's not easy. Now, can they do it? Yes, this is a talented team. But. Don't think that's me being low on the team to finish them at 500 because, again, they're seven games under right now. That's a lot of work to do between now and then. So I would say beyond the projections and the win total for me in that range, to answer the question more in full, I think that I would have the Hawks finishing in the play-in, and I think I would do that without too much fear, honestly. The trouble, of course, is that the Hawks are four games out of the play-in with less than 40 games to play. That's a huge hill to climb. It's not insurmountable, but they do have some work to do. They have to win a bunch of games and get some help along the way. The more positive take would be that I do think the Hawks are better than this, and of course the teams in front of them don't really scare me too much. I think the top six is not set, but in particular the top five is like consensus at this point in time. In some order, it's Chicago, Miami, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and Philadelphia. Those are the five teams that people are picking. Cleveland is the team that's played on that level this year, but obviously I'm a little bit skeptical of them. But still, they have been playing very well. They've earned this, and at the moment they are firmly in the top six as well. So that's your top six at the moment. And then after that, um, 
you know, there's some mess, some muddle, etc. Um, it's Charlotte, as of today, the play-in would be Charlotte, Washington, Toronto, and Boston. Charlotte is awesome on offense and bad on defense. Washington has not been very good after a hot start. Um, they've been very mediocre since then. Toronto's a little bit strange. They're well-coached, and they are doing things in an odd way, but they've been kind of effective. They are frisky, but not going to overwhelm you in terms of talent. Boston is the most talented of the four teams, but they've been really maddening this year um, on, on offense in particular. There have been not rave reviews for Ime Udoka's um, first stint as a head coach this season. Um, they have some mismatched parts on offense. So all those teams are credible. They're not bad, but the Hawks, I think, for me anyway, are as talented or more talented than all of those teams, even, though, even if they're behind them. So they've dug a hole at this point in the season, and you can't assume anything because, you know, the Hawks have done what they've done. They've played below their talent level, and that doesn't automatically change. But if you're asking me to pick right now on January 18th as I record this, I think I'd pick the Hawks to make the play-in, and they're the best team on paper of all the play-in teams in my mind if they're at full strength. So that isn't where they were going to be in the preseason in my mind. I had them picked as a team that was going to compete for home court in the Eastern Conference. That is uh, not out the window, but it's very unlikely at this point in the regular season. But they can get in the play and make some noise if they, if they start playing well, and uh, it's not too late. As we saw Monday, their, their ceiling is still, still very high and uh, still room for some optimism, I should say. And uh, we'll see if they are able to put it together. But that's where I'd be right now, somewhere in that like 9-10 seed range. And um, you know that takes some work to even get there. And then, But the good thing is that I actually have the talent to make some noise if they can make the postseason. All right, before we get to the last segment of the show, which they look ahead to Hawks Wolves on Wednesday. It work from our sponsors, and the first of which is Bill Bar. It's the new year, and that means New Year's resolutions are in full swing. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Bill Bar in that plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar and maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolutions because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike protein bars and some other corners of the market that can be chalky or waxy. Built Bar tastes fantastic. Sometimes it's just boring to eat healthy, and by week three of eating healthy, you might be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where is the chocolate? But with Built Bar, every bar is covered in 100% real chocolate. Here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes on your home or your pantry or in the office or in your car, wherever you might be hiding something sweet. Throw out all that sugary or calorie-filled treats and replace them with Built Bars. So when you're craving a snack or a treat, you can reach for something that's absolutely healthy and tastes incredible with Built Bar. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. And that way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. As always, there are amazing flavors to choose from, from coconut almond to peanut butter brownie, raspberry, salted caramel, milk brownie, and my personal favorite, cookies and cream. And beyond that, Built is always coming out with new limited time flavors. Check out Built.com often to see what's coming up. And right now, you can go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order with Built Bar. That's Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your order at Built.com. All right, and we'll close the show with a look ahead to Wednesday's game between the Hawks and the Minnesota Timberwolves at State Farm Arena. Of course, the Hawks ended their national nightmare of a home losing streak at 10 on Monday. I can't believe still they lost 10 games in a row at home, but that happened. So they have a chance to build on that and have a winning streak at home on Wednesday if they can win the game. Um, the Wolves actually have a back-to-back, which we talked about a little bit last night on the show, but uh, Minnesota actually played tonight in New York, so that's a pretty tough turnaround. Having to go from MSG to Atlanta overnight and play is tough, and they actually had a pretty interesting test with the uh, Knicks. The Wolves won by two points late, 112-110 to 110 in New York, so they won the game, but a tough turnaround for Minnesota. Their profile, by the way, they're now 500 for the season after that victory, 
And defensively, they've been playing very well this year, which is a surprise to almost everyone, honestly, because their defense has not been good for a while. And they still have pretty offense-first personnel, but they've been pretty good defensively this year under Chris Finch. Top 10, 11 in the league on defense. They're number one in the NBA in turnover creation. So the Hawks will have to take care of the ball. Now, fortunately, that, that, that's a strength of Atlanta. that They're actually number one or number two in uh, turnover rate this year at this point in time. So that's a strength, but they're going to have to take care of the ball in this matchup. Um, Minnesota is very bad on the defensive glass. Without Capella, the Hawks have not been very good on the glass overall, but that's, that's an avenue where they might actually have some success with the Kongu and Collins kind of crashing in this game. On um, the other end of the floor, they are not good. The Wolves in taking care of the ball, they turn the ball over at a bottom five rate, so that's uh, that's pretty hideous stuff. There, um, they are good on the offensive glass though. So the Hawks are gonna have to box out a lot in this game between Collins and Kongwu, Gallinari, Jang if he plays, etc. Um, and that's pretty big to kind of keep them off, off second chance points. And then Minnesota takes more threes than any team in the league. So if Minnesota shoots well, they can beat you. If they don't shoot well, that is uh, gonna play into your hands a little bit. So they're kind of a high variance team. I personally am scared of teams like this that can shoot you out of a game in a hurry. So the Hawks will have to be good at contesting, staying solid defensively. It's been a challenge for them at times this season. So an interesting matchup for sure. Um, the Hawks have the rest advantage. That's definitely important to note here because they had the day off, no travel. They did practice today, but nothing in terms of uh, having to play a game and travel and stuff. So that, that is a real advantage plus the home court advantage. Even, if, even with the Hawks struggling at home this year, it's still better to play at home. That's uh, worth noting as well. Um, Injury report stuff for both teams. Minnesota's injury report was pretty light on uh, on Monday. We don't know anything else at this point. Sorry, on Tuesday. Nothing else at this point in time in terms of specifics because it's just hard to know what's going to happen on a back-to-back and they don't have to put it in their official injury report until later. But no one was uh, banged up that I'm aware of, and we'll see if they bring everybody to Atlanta. But they probably should be at least relatively full strength on paper. In the game for the Hawks, uh, Capella is out again with the ankle. Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich is out with the knee again. This is six in a row for Capella to miss the game, and three in a row for Bogdanovich to miss the game. Two big absences. Obviously, Akongwu was so so good on on Monday, and that is uh, important to note. But the Hawks are still better when Akongwu plays than when he's not. You can argue that Akongwu should, should play more, but when Capella plays, the Hawks are better than they when he, when he doesn't play. That's been the case for two years, and it's not good to not have Capella, minimum. Um, now, Akongwu is capable of playing great for 35 minutes, and that would be huge for the Hawks, but we'll see if they stay small. Or if we see Gorgie Jang again, um, you know, the Wolves are not the biggest team in the world, but Carl Anthony Towns is a handful, to be sure. They actually play Jared Vanderbilt a lot as well. He's a good rebounder at the power forward spot. So we'll see what happens in terms of matchup stuff. And then Bogey is still out. So I would project a similar rotation to what we've seen in the last couple games. Um, they could shorten it a little bit, as they did in the second half on Monday when they kind of excised TLC and went to an eight-man group. They could also play as many as 10 if they were to play Gorgie Jang again. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, interesting projection against a team that's going to be uh, probably a little bit winded following travel and a back-to-back. Um, with all that said, the Hawks are actually small favorites right now at betonline.ag, our sponsor on the show, a one-and-a-half-point favorite for the Hawks. That basically insinuates that the Wolves are slightly better than the Hawks right now, um, maybe kind of a coin flip, and then the Hawks get a little bit of a bump for home court plus rest advantage. So, um, honestly, not a bad spot for the Hawks. I think Minnesota is a solid team. They're not any more great, and I think... As I talked about earlier in the podcast, to kind of bring things full circle, I think the Hawks are better than their performance has been thus far this season. Now, without Capella and without Bogdanovich, that is pretty significant in terms of the absences. Um, whereas Minnesota is healthy, maybe that balances out a little bit. But this is a very winnable game for the Hawks. In fact, the schedule is such where it'd be nice for the Hawks to get this one. That's for sure. It doesn't get too much easier for Atlanta. 
in the near term. And, of course, they have uh, the margin for error is getting smaller and smaller by the day, even after the win Monday. So they have to play Miami at home on Friday. Miami is playing very well. Then they have to go to Charlotte on Sunday. Tough game there because Charlotte's been playing well. Then they come home for, they, they come home for five games in a row. Now, those are manageable games. They play Sacramento. They play Boston, who's not been great this year. They play the Lakers in a weird Sunday 1 p.m. Eastern tip. And then Toronto. And then Phoenix is obviously very good. That's actually a national TV game on February 3rd. But um, the schedule is manageable. But if you look at the schedule as well, the Hawks need to get some wins here. If they, you know, they have uh, nine games in the, sorry, eight games in the next two plus weeks, 15 days, they need to kind of go like five and three, six and two in the stretch in terms of like getting chips sort of chipping away at their margin. And they'll be favoring in several of these games, including on Wednesday, unless there are more injuries. So, is it a must-win? No. Is it a game that the Hawks are like playing a terrible team and they need to win this one badly? No. But it's a game the Hawks can win, and if they play well, should win in my mind. So we'll see. Um, that's probably enough on that game for now because it's a back-to-back from Minnesota, and they, they can pull a plug if they want to. But um, we'll have coverage of that, as we always do, on the show on Wednesday. And then I have to travel a little bit this weekend, but I will have a show after the game Friday. I might be a little bit later than usual because I have to watch the game on, on delay of some kind as they play Miami, but... Um, we'll get into that as we always do on the show and uh, full coverage wall-to-wall in this space. Please subscribe to the podcast. Also, I did a visit with Seth Partnow, also a former guest of this podcast, but also a writer at The Athletic, former Buck staffer in the front office. Did a uh, about an hour and a half with him on his call-in show. That was a fun discussion about all kinds of Hawk stuff. A lot of it I say on this podcast, but if you want to hear me talk even more, that's available for you to listen to. I've done some other podcast appearances, some radio appearances recently. It's been a little bit busier as the deadline approaches, and the Hawks have been a pretty interesting team to uh, decipher this season. So, if you want to follow all of that, I will usually retweet it all and tweet about it at BT Roland. Follow the show at Locked on Hawks. And again, I always ask this, but I really do mean it. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and also tell a friend about the show. If you have a Hawks fan friend in your life or a Hawks fan family member in your life, share the podcast with them. If they enjoy it, maybe they'll come, maybe they'll come back and leave some five-star feedback. Help us to grow the podcast with reviews and ratings and all of that fun stuff. I sincerely appreciate all the support, and we'll be back again after the game on Wednesday. We'll see you next time.